Hello, Bethel Fandom. God, you know what? Some someday I'm gonna get used to actually saying shit portmanteau is allowed and it's not gonna make my skin wanna crawl off my body. Hello, Bethel Fandom! Welcome to the Keep Singing Podcast. I'm your host, Dynamic Symmetry, on Tumblr and Twitter and just about everywhere. Also sunny. This is the second one of these that I'm doing after the end of the semester. I have considerably mellowed out. It's kind of great. I still am a little unsure about how often I'm going to be able to do this, but like I said, I'm really going to try to keep up my bi-monthly schedule that I initially wanted to keep when I first started doing this. Also, by the way, guys, we've been doing this for like almost nine months now. Actually, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's that much, but it's it's like over seven, I think. And I'll be honest with you, when I started doing this, I wasn't sure that it was going to last that long because this is kind of an ambitious project in some ways. And I'm, you know, not I'm intermittently employed because that's how it is when you're a grad student. But I am, you know, kind of busy. So I've been very pleasantly surprised regarding uh, how often I actually have been able to do this. Oh my God, there's like a spider right next to me. Okay, no, you know what? You can, okay, you can live here, but you can't be near me. Okay, cool. So anyway, today is going to be all about nice stuff. Namely, what this fandom has actually meant to you and what it's done for you and the difference it has made in your life, which isn't actually ridiculous. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed about people in this fandom is that, and this is interesting, uh, given the state of our ship currently, especially if you're not TD, uh, this ship is, it should be miserable. Like, we shouldn't actually even be here, given what's happened to us. And in fact, I think we did lose some people after CODA, and I think we've lost some people since, as Beth has stubbornly refused to show up again. By the way, this is going to be kind of TD-themed, because a lot of people who responded to my calls for content are and mentioned it, so just a warning if you really don't like listening to that stuff. I'm going to try and not make it heavy on that, but it's still going to be in here. Anyway, it's it seems like the people who've stuck around are really passionate and it's really going strong and we're producing tons of content and I mean I personally I'm not super well acquainted with other parts of the Umbrella Walking Dead fandom but my overall impression is that we have some of the best fan artists and writers and gift set makers and just about everything. I don't know if we're on top but I think we're pretty damn close and that's amazing because again consider As far as we know, Beth's dead, and the ship has sunk, and we refuse to give up, and that's kind of awesome. And one of the things that I've noticed about post-CODA was that it almost seemed like some people doubled down rather than pulling back, and I don't think that that's necessarily even the case if if you actually think Beth is coming back. I think that some people just doubled down because they refused to accept what happened, and that's kind of awesome. And I know for me personally, I mean, I wasn't super into this fandom actually until after Coda, and I think that one of the reasons why that happened is because I was, I was, I was looking for a place to vent, and just express how pissed off I was. And then, then of course, you know, I found, I found Team Defiant slash Team Delusional, and my life was ruined. And I started writing tons of fic, and my life was ruined more. And yeah, and it's just kind of been downhill since then. But yes, I I came to this at a point where I think I actually should have been running away. And my sense is that's true for a lot of us. And not only that, but 
Like, this place has been more than escapism. This has been kind of a site of support and almost therapy. And I think that that's really great. I think that it's great that we've been able to be that for each other as a community. And I think it's great that we've been able to build that. So I asked people to send in stories, testimonials, I guess, regarding what this fandom has actually done for them, their personal relationship with it, some really kind of personal heavy stuff. And I mean, I was expecting some things, but actually I got, I wouldn't say flooded, but I got a lot of stuff. And in fact, I got so much stuff that I really think that I want to break this up into two episodes. Uh, Otherwise, again, it's going to be like unwieldy in terms of how long it is. So this is going to be a two-parter. It's also going to be a two-parter because you guys sent me tons of FICREX. At least tons by my standards because I like to actually talk for a second about the ones I can talk about because I think that that's nice. So I'm actually having to break up the FICREX as well. That doesn't mean you shouldn't send me more for next time. You absolutely fucking should. I kind of demand it. You know, do your part, because I can't do this all by myself. It just doesn't work. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to get to the Rex in a minute. I have... Okay, so... Digression, because... Well, I mean, if you've been listening to more than one episode of this, you know that I do this by now. And if you're still listening, then you are at least somewhat patient with me regarding that. So I have been listening to a ton of podcasts lately, or at least I've been listening to a lot of a very few podcasts. I love Black Tapes. I love Tannis. If you like really creepy, awesome shit, I recommend those hugely. And I have been just binging on Welcome to Night Vale. And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I've never listened to Welcome to Night Vale before. Shut up. I know, I know. It's exactly the kind of thing that you'd think is up my alley. You'd think I'd already be completely up to speed. You'd think I would already be obsessed with it. No. I actually had not listened to it until a couple weeks ago, and I've just been mainlining it since then. So I've been sort of... One of the reasons why I do this is because, I mean, it's just like anything. If If you're working in a certain format, if you're working with a certain medium, you want to get a sense of what other people do with that and what works and what doesn't work. And especially you want to listen to the really successful ones and get a sense of what they're doing. And it's not like that this is something I have huge ambitions for, despite the fact that I said it was ambitious. You know, like, for instance, I don't ever expect this to have actual sponsors or products related to it. I think that's fucking ridiculous, in addition to being questionably legal. But I do want to make this as good as it reasonably can be, given what it is that I'm working with. Paltry, though, maybe. And one of the things that I noticed about all these podcasts is that God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna feel so dirty about this. Look, you know what? Look, if if you if you don't want to listen to me being awkward and just okay, more awkward than normal, skip ahead like ten minutes. Maybe not as much as that, but yeah, don't don't come with me into this place I'm about to go. One of the things I've noticed about them is that the people who run them are not particularly shy about asking for money. Now, I've, I've done this somewhat before. We have a tip jar on the actual podcast website, keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com. It's PayPal. And when I first started this, I wanted to actually do it decently. So I paid for a SoundCloud account, which allows me to not have to delete anything. I can basically pack as much content as I want onto it, which is good because I don't want to have to delete episodes. I want people to go back and be able to hear things. SoundCloud allows me to distribute probably the best that any podcast platform would. Uh, I did some research and other things are good, but I really think SoundCloud is the best. They're the easiest to use. And I also already had an account and had uploaded some things already. So I paid for a SoundCloud account for the year 
And I also bought a better microphone with a, a handy-dandy uh, plosive thing that doesn't make my peas go all fucking crazy all over the place and make me have to do tons more post-production. So my point is, in order to do this really well, I paid for some things out of my own pocket. Nobody asked me to do that, but I really wanted to make this as good as I could, like I said. Uh, I asked for help covering those costs. Some of you were extraordinarily generous, and you did. And I cannot thank you enough for that. Uh, this this fandom is amazing. But I kept the tip jar active. And I was a little uncomfortable with that because I've, I've talked many, many times about how I'm not comfortable monetizing fandom. I don't ever intend to pull to publish any of my stories. I don't, like, hate people who do that. I'm just not personally comfortable with it. I understand that fan artists want to charge for their art. I think that's great. Me, personally, though, I'd like to kind of keep capitalism as far away from me and fandom as I possibly can. But I am unemployed right now. Uh, Like, completely. I'm a graduate student. I teach when they have courses for me. I freelance edit. I write. And I do get paid for that, although I don't get paid a lot. I basically scramble together income wherever I can. Because to date, I haven't been able to find a job that actually pays me any kind of fair living wage. Because I was an idiot. And I only gathered up a lot of experience teaching and also theorizing. And as it turns out, not many people will hire you to teach and pay you reasonably. And nobody wants to pay me to sit around and social theorize. I'm very disappointed as well. So yeah, things, things, I'm I'm fine. I'm not like struggling at all. I really want to emphasize that I'm fine. Everything's cool. Everything is, is, is awesome in the, the sunny compound. It really is actually kind of like a compound. If anybody ever visits me, I'll show you. Sort of amazing. But anyway, yes, yes. I went to Wiscon this past end of May. Uh, by the way, oh my fucking God, like I posted about this on Tumblr. Please come to Wiscon. You guys don't even understand. You don't understand how great Wiscon is. It's, it's like, it's the oldest feminist science fiction and fantasy convention in the States, possibly the world. It's hugely fandom oriented. It's crowdsourced. It's not top down. Anybody can be on programming. Anybody can propose programming. Anybody can do a reading. Anybody can just like throw themselves entirely into this. You do not have to be invited. You do not have to be a professional. I would say a huge number of the people who are involved in it are not professionals. They're just fans and they love the community. It is fucking awesome. And as far as I could tell, I was the only Walking Dead fan there. At least I was the only one who's willing to be out about it. And I was lonely. And I would prefer that that not happen again. Uh, I I did get to hang out with the property of Murphy McManus, which was kind of awesome. Uh, We talked for like six fucking hours. I I meant to meet her for coffee. And we just ended up sitting down and talking. And I was like, don't go home because I'm having so much fun right now. Let's go to the hotel bar and have drinks. And we did. And it was awesome. Uh, But it would be so great if there were more people. It would be so fun. She's coming back next year, by the way. We're going to be roommates. I'm super excited because we'll be able to have more and more of those conversations and I'm going to be so annoying. Anyway, yeah, come to Wiscon. But one of the things about Wiscon that uh, got me thinking about a lot of stuff, I always come away from Wiscon thinking, which is one of the reasons why I love it. Uh, One of the things that Wiscon made me do was go back and reevaluate the money thing. And one of the things that I came away with was that I had kind of And I've talked about this on my Tumblr. I had kind of been thinking about this wrong. And I had been thinking about money as intrinsically capitalist. And the thing is that it's not exactly because there is kind of a midpoint model. And it's the patronage model, which is basically, I have a hat here. You can toss some money in it if you want to. I'm not charging for any of the content that I produce. I'm not asking for money, you know, like... 
I won't give you things unless you give me money. But it is saying, look, hey, you know, if you appreciate what I'm doing, if you enjoy this, uh, if you want to make me be able to justify the time I put into it or just, you know, yeah, just just show a different form of appreciation. Uh, I have a hat and you can throw dollars into it. And that's amazing. It's kind of like the fandom version of busking almost. So I came away from Wisconsin thinking about that. And I came home and I kind of looked at everything I do for the fandom. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This, this is so fucking annoying. I'm so, so sorry. But I'm going to do it anyway. And guys, like, not to toot my own horn here, but I do a lot. I do the podcast. I make books, actual physical books out of my fic. I'm considering... I'm just considering, but I am considering uh, volunteering to do that with other people's fic. It's, I'm just floating the idea with myself, and I don't know that I will ever do this, but it's on the table. Because I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. So I do that. I, I write just an unbelievable amount of fic. Like, you don't even... I, I don't know that I put a full working week into it. But I put a lot of time. I'm able to. It's one of the good things about being a graduate student. Uh, it's it's also one of the semi-good things about only being intermittently employed. I have an incredible amount of free time. Not necessarily I don't work a lot, but I get to choose how my time is spent in terms of when I work on certain things. So I have a lot of discretionary time, and I can work on tons of fan fiction, and I can write like a million words of fan fiction, which I did in 2015. I checked. I, I've never written that many words of anything ever. That was kind of an amazing year. Sort of blew my mind. And I'm so proud of everything I did. And it really seems like people kind of liked it, which makes me happy. So I started thinking, I don't think it's actually unfair for me to ask for some monetary compensation for this. It's not that I'm demanding it. I'm absolutely not. I love this work. I love this fandom. I would do this regardless. Seriously. I've been doing it regardless for like two years now. But I also think that it's not unfair for me to at least have the hat on the ground. So it is. Not only do I have the tip jar on the website, which again is PayPal, and if you want to toss a couple bucks in it, that's amazing. It's on the front page. But I also now have a Patran. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It turned out I was pronouncing it incorrectly for, like, weeks. Kind of freaked me out. I was like, how many times have I said this aloud to somebody? I hope not many. Anyway, I have a Patran now. You can donate small amounts monthly. You can kind of subscribe. It's awesome when people do that. A couple people already have. Uh, they've been incredibly generous, and I thank them so, so much. I don't have their names in front of me, but I want to thank them hugely. But I'm, I'm, you know, putting the call out there for other people. If you like what I'm doing, if you appreciate what I'm doing, if you want to make it easier for me to continue doing it, because if nothing else, you're helping me justify the time that I put into this. Which, again, you know, I justify with love, but it, I'm not going to lie. It really does kind of help motivate. So, yeah, uh, if you want to access my Patreon, probably the easiest way for you to do that is go to my Tumblr page, dynamicsymmetry.tumblr.com, and I have a little collection of links up at the top, and Patreon is up there. Also, if you want any of my fic books, there is a link up there to those as well. If you want those, just shoot me an email, and we'll work out the details. So, yes, I am going to be saying something about this every episode. I'm trying not to be annoying about it. I promise I'm not going to talk about it for 10 fucking minutes next time. But I'm sort of explaining why I'm doing it and why it's something I'm going to be continuing to do. So I'm, I'm done with that. Thank you so much for listening to that. If you didn't skip ahead 10 minutes, uh, you're fucking awesome just for doing that, regardless of whether or not you actually give me money. But now I'm actually going to move on to the Rex because I think it's actually time that we get onto some content in this fucking thing that isn't just me talking. 
So like I said, I got a ton, uh, at least by my standards, and I'm going to break them up. So you sent me a rec, and I don't mention it this time. It's because I am put it away for next time. I promise I'll get to it. Unless I lost it, because that does happen sometimes. Okay, first up, uh, this is one of uh, the ones I found recently, and I love it, and it's awesome. Uh, it's What If. It's on Archive of Our Own. It's by Maybe, and basically it's just a bunch of porn scenarios. You know, it's 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 not anything especially complicated, which I think is great sometimes when you're just talking smut, but it's just, it's so well-written. It's really cute. Uh, I think it's completely in character. That's one of the reasons why it's it's really hot. It's very, very in character, and it's coming from a place where I think there's a deep understanding of the characters. And especially, and I'm so happy about this, the latest chapter, there are three chapters so far, is Bondage Femdom which there is not enough of in the world. I'm going to be writing some pretty soon. I've already written some. But uh, yeah, it's it's good if you want it. So yeah, What If by Maybe on AO3. Uh, next, Running Blind by Happy Dirty Cookie. I have not read this, but I read a fic by this person in the last episode, and it was awesome. So this is definitely flagged for me to get into uh, when hopefully I catch up on my reading this summer because I'm just unbelievably behind. This is also on AO3, and the summary is Beth Green didn't believe in invincibility. That is, until she somehow survived a bullet to the head and found herself embarking on the adventure of a lifetime with people she never imagined accompanying her. The impossible journey towards something better, away from the killing monsters that roam the earth, both dead and alive, endlessly running toward a brighter future, blinded by hope. So I I skimmed it. It looks great. Uh, It's definitely something I'm going to come back to. My to-be-read pile is just unbelievably embarrassing. I'm so sorry. Uh, next up, You Like It Hard Like Me by Exotic Deviants. Uh, this is another thing that's definitely on my list of things to read. It's also just absolutely shameless porn. Uh, it's an AU. Uh, no zombies. And the this is not actually the summary officially, but this is what the person who sent in the rec said. Beth needs a date for Maggie and Glenn's wedding. Daryl begrudgingly accepts to pose as her boyfriend for the weekend. And you know that's going to end well, right? It's equal parts fluff and smut. The fluff breaks and mends your heart simultaneously, and the smut is just magical. The author has a talent for detail and a deep understanding of the characters that allows for room in the writing, making things that might be out of character work wonderfully. Uh, So again, I have not read this one. This is another one I've skimmed, and I'm like, oh god, I have to read this. It's also on AO3. Can't remember if I said that or not. So yeah, take a look at that. This is Where It Starts by Redneck Saints. This is upon both FF.net and AO3. So one of the ways in which, I think I've mentioned this before, one of the ways in which you can tell that I absolutely love you is if I scream abuse at you. I mean, if if I just say the most abusive things possible, that I hate you and you're terrible, and if I ever meet you, I'm going to kick you and all that kind of thing. This is one of the ones that made me leave a review like that. This is a terrible person. I hate them. I'm never going to forgive them for this. And the reason I'm never going to forgive them for this is that this is a one shot where Daryl's the one who gets the bat, which is, I mean, I've written some terrible scenarios. Uh, It's something I really enjoy doing, actually. Like, what's the most terrible, painful thing I can write? Aha, this is one I haven't been brave enough to do. It's one I really want to. And I almost view this fic as a challenge because it's so fucking good. And it's, it's like, I want to try and, I want to try and be better than this in like the, in, in like the best way, because this is such a high bar to clear. Uh, by the way, I'm sorry for the beeping. Uh, these, I think the beeping came through on this. The people next door are just continuously obnoxious. 
Uh, but yeah, uh, Daryl gets the bat. And, and before he dies, it's a big hallucination sequence. Before he dies, he sees Beth. And it's just about as terrible as you'd think. I mean, the the synopsis on the page says, yes, it's sad. That's not a correct evaluation of what it is. It's it's just, it's wretched. It's awful. So, so don't read it um, unless you're into that. But it's just so fucking good. Oh, my God. I'm probably going to read it uh, in a, like a one-shot reading not part of a podcast. And the, one of the reasons why I'm going to do that is that it is just that upsetting. At least I personally found it so. And I, I try to keep podcasts themselves light where I can. But yeah, this this is just great. All right, enough about that. Seriously, go read it. Uh, 54 Days by Lemon Star. She's Templeton 21 on Tumblr. It is Zombie Apocalypse, Alone Divergent. It's ff.net only. Uh, season 4. It's been just them for 54 days, 54 days of getting closer, 54 days of walking, still trying to find any of their family, still trying not to not just survive, but to live. 54 days before Beth starts coughing. Oh no. And Daryl knows he'll do anything to get them another 54 days together. This is another one I haven't read, but okay, now it looks like it's angsty. And so I'm completely into that. Yay. Okay. Yeah. FF.net take a look at that. I know that this is a really, really popular author. I'm not as familiar with them as I would like to be, but so this is probably guaranteed to be amazing. Uh, And finally, Someday You'll Have a Beautiful Life by Well That Depends. This is also ff.net. This is a schoolteacher mechanic AU, which is um, charming, the idea of it. I'll be honest with you, I don't read a tremendous number of non-zombie apocalypse AUs, which is hilarious, given that the two most popular things I've written are both non-zombie apocalypse AUs, and one of them is, like, cliched as fuck. The other one's the werewolf one, but, oh my god, it's, yeah, it's ironic. But anyway, uh, I skimmed this, and I'm really embarrassed that I am not familiar with Well That Depends. This is actually kind of my first exposure to them, and I think I have, like, a new favorite author, because they're kind of awesome. This is another one, or at least this is another author where I probably will read some stuff because at some point, because yeah, this this person's just awesome. And one of the things that I love about them, and remember that I'm super picky about prose. Like, it's not something I enjoy or am proud of. I can't help it. I'm just really picky about my prose. The prose of this person is great. So, yes. the The synopsis, which I don't think really explains very much. I think school teacher mechanic AU should really tell you all you need to know. But they're sick of waiting for something good to happen instead of making it happen. So, yes, read that. And that's it for the Rex this time. Oh, by the way, uh, something that I decided I'm going to do with Rex. Something I've been doing on the website is I've been compiling people's giant lists of Rex. That's good. And by the way, if you have some, please send them to me. I have a few already, but I need more. But I'm thinking that I'm going to start just putting recs that people give me on the site because I like the idea of having them in a permanent place. I think that that would be cool. So that's something I'm going to be trying to do in the next week or so. We'll see how quickly I can move on it, but I am going to be trying to do that. Now, I'm I'm going to, before I move on to the actual topic of this podcast, I'm going to ask your forbearance while I do kind of an editorial slash rant. It's, it's really kind of a rant. And in fact, it's a rant that I already did on my blog, but I think that it's worth doing again here, especially because the nature of Tumblr is that a lot of people miss things. I, I know I miss things constantly, partly because I'm terrible about checking my dash. So yeah, this is almost kind of related to the thing that I said at the beginning of the podcast about the patronage model. 
you need to fucking review shit. Or at the very least, favorite things and leave kudos. Like you or or wreck stuff. Like fic writers do this for free. Right? You know that. And we put a tremendous amount of work into our stuff. Hours and hours and hours. Again, some of us do this not as a job, but it's more than a hobby. Like, it's really, it's something that we take extraordinarily seriously. We produce the best quality stuff that we know how. We're constantly trying to get better, which is what I think kind of the core definition of a writer is. It's someone who writes and it's someone who's always trying to do it better. Some of us are incredibly prolific, some of us aren't. But the bottom line is we put a huge amount of work into this and we're doing it for fucking free, you guys. We're writing the equivalent of novels sometimes, sometimes multiple novels. Uh, I'll Be Yours for a Song is, is literally the length of a novel trilogy. I know that because I broke it down into three novels when I turned it into a trade paperback. We write so damn much for you. I don't think it's unfair to expect some appreciation for that. I, I, I think that's, that's something that is a continual kind of battle. I don't think it's that adversarial, but it's, it's sort of us going, come on, guys, and then people honestly not doing it enough. Just say something, all right? Like, you don't have to be super eloquent. It can be stuff you've said before. It can be just a line. It can be a few words. We don't care. Just tell us that we have done something that you enjoy. Take a few seconds. If you've already left kudos and you can't hit the button again, maybe it's time to leave a comment. It means everything to us. I don't care really even what the content is. I mean, obviously I, I care that it's not, this is the worst and I hate you. But it's it means so much to me. It means everything. I love every comment that comes in, even if I don't actually respond to them because I'm fucking terrible about that, just like I'm terrible about every other kind of communication with you guys. Kudos means so much. Wrecks mean more than I can possibly say. Whenever somebody wrecks one of my things, I, I roll around on the floor. I'm that happy about it. And you know what? It's kind of like discoverability also. When a fic on AO3 has a lot of kudos, it's easier to find it. When people search by kudos, they're going to see it. And they're going to see it in the first couple pages. And that's amazing because more people are likely to read it. It really matters so fucking much that you take a couple seconds out of your day if you like something and you give us back those couple of seconds for the hours we have put into this. It behooves you to do this. And yes, I am yelling at you and I'm sorry for that, but I feel so strongly about this. I don't usually do this. I don't say, please review in my actual notes. By the way, I'm not putting down people who do that. I'm just saying it's not something I personally do. Uh, I feel awkward doing it, but I'm going to say fuck it this time. And I'm going to be like, you need to review things. Okay. Like seriously, you and me, we're having kind of what my mom calls a come to Jesus meeting here. You need to review things or kudos or wreck or just send us anonymous messages or send us emails or something. Just tell us that you liked what we did. It is everything. It is the only compensation that we actually expect. And yes, I expect it. And yes, it kind of pisses me off when I don't get it. Particularly if I can see hit counts and I can see them rising. And I know that hit counts aren't necessarily always representative of how many people are looking at something. But you know what? They kind of are. And I can see how many people are reading something. And I can see how many kudos I've got. And I can see how many people are reviewing. And I kind of go, guys, fucking come on. I'm asking for a couple minutes. So yeah, please, please do that. Okay, rant over. Thank you for listening to that as well. This is this is becoming a very self-indulgent podcast.
Sorry about that. But you know what? It's mine. So I can fucking do what I want. <laughs> moving moving on to the actual topic. You know, this, this has been me yelling at you and asking you for money. And I intended this to be a positive, hey, we're the best fandom podcast. And it's kind of funny. But yeah, anyway, like I said at the beginning, I, I wanted people to, to send me in messages about what this fandom has meant for them. And, and not just what it's meant for them, but explicitly or not, what is keeping you here? Because it's not just the fact that the ship is, for all intents and purposes, sunk. Like, even if Beth is coming back, nothing's happening right now. And she can't really be less gone than she is. She's as gone as she possibly can be. So why the fuck are you still here for that, first of all? But also, again, I'm not really familiar with other parts of the Umbrella fandom, but my impression is that in terms of shit, we get the most. We get the most anonymous abuse. We get the most non-anonymous abuse. We have hate blogs devoted to us. We have people talking about us all the time. Like, a lot. Like, people putting significant amounts of time and energy and thought into talking about how much they dislike us and looking at our blogs, which is fucking creepy, by the way, and compiling posts like they are compiling evidence against us. I know this because I've experienced it, and many of you people have as well. People sending you anonymous messages, talking about stuff that there's really no way they would know unless they were paying very close attention to you, or talking to people who are. And then they say that they put no time into it and they don't really care. And it's like, you know what? Like, sure, Jan. But it's really unpleasant, right? It's no fun. I don't like being called a pedophile. When I first got into this fandom, I'll tell you what. I knew fandom was crazy. I'm crazy. Literally. So I was like, okay, I'm not necessarily not with my people here. I knew fandom was was just ridiculous. I I sort of dabbled around the edges of supernatural fandom. And believe me, I I saw enough there that kind of scared me off in terms of, I'm just going to write a couple of things and I'm going to leave. But I was away for fandom for 15 years. And part of the reason for that was that I was sort of like, you know, I don't need this in my life. But then I fell into this and it turned out I did kind of need this in my life. I expected drama. I never expected that people would, on a regular fucking basis, be calling me a pedophile. So that's really pleasant. But I'm here. And so many of you you are here, despite the shit that we get. So it's just one more thing that I think that makes us really kind of awesome and resilient and strong uh, in ways that, you know what, uh, really nobody else in this fandom has to be. Because for all of the complaining and the whining that certain other parts of this fandom do, and not unjustifiably, personally, I think, uh, they don't put up with what we do. Just observably, factually, they do not. But we're here. And that's kind of awesome. So, I I asked for people to talk about that. Uh, I'm going to talk about me, obviously, because that's my favorite subject. But I'm going to save that for last, because I've been talking about me a lot so far. And this is, again, something else where I got enough responses that I feel like I sort of have to break them up because I really want to be able to give them the attention that they deserve. So first up, uh, Beth Green's girl gang, Molly, sent me in a response saying, and this is a lot of this is about fic because I think that's a lot of it for us. Uh, In terms of writing fic, it's given me a purpose that I wouldn't have otherwise. Being able to write fic in some form is one of the only ways to make me feel not shitty about myself right now. And I wouldn't have that if not for Daryl and Beth. My life wouldn't have purpose. See? 
See, this is like serious stuff. And if you think it's pathetic, fuck you. It's still serious. This is, of course, not to mention the amazing friends I've made, including you, which is so important to me because I only have three friends in real life. So finding a whole gaggle of people I love has saved me the past few years. Yeah, kind of same for me. Uh, Again, again, I'll, I'll talk about this in a few minutes. But yeah, this this has not been just escapism. This has been a support group for so many of us. It's been a place where we learn to write better in ways that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. It's been a, a place of extraordinary creative growth. It's been a place to explore ideas in ways that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. I've talked before in smut-themed episodes about how it's a way to explore sexuality in ways that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. It's a way to go to uncomfortable places and figure out what's going on there in ways that are safe and are more comfortable than they would be otherwise, even if they're still kind of uncomfortable. It's very rewarding to do that. It's very rewarding to become better at what you do. It's very rewarding to be around people who are helping you. It's very rewarding to be around people who are encouraging you constantly because there's a tremendous amount of that. Even if you feel like you're not producing the best stuff you can, you get so much love and encouragement, and that helps keep you going on days when you just don't feel like you can do it anymore. Like, this happens to me periodically. I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'm done. Uh, I'm, I'm trying this and it's not working and it sucks, and I guess I'm done. That's it. Bye, everybody. But, you know, people say awesome things. And I'm like, oh, God, I just can't leave these people hanging. I have to keep trying. I can't just give up. And I do. And then it comes back and everything's okay again. And that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for all you guys. I might just quit. Some of the stuff I've written, I might not have finished. I'm sure that this is true of a lot of us. We continue. We work so hard because we feel like it's worth it because people do review. People do say nice things. It's not that nobody's doing that. Tons of people are, and it's incredibly motivating. But it's not even just that. It's There's so much of a sense of community, and I, I really like that. Uh, especially because, yeah, a lot, of us, a lot of us don't have a whole lot of friends that are like physical friends that we see all the time. I don't think we're unusual in that. I think especially because a lot of us are kind of introverted. I think that the line between introvert-extrovert is a lot blurrier than people often present it as. But a lot of us just aren't so great at face-to-face stuff. It's, you know, it's something we're not as comfortable with as we might be otherwise. Or we just have a hard time finding people who are into the same stuff we are, or whom we connect with on a deep level. But we're in this fandom and suddenly there's tons of people. And we can talk to them about the stuff that we cannot talk to other people. And we're comfortable with them in a way that we're not with other people. And the fact that it's online enables a kind of interaction that you frankly don't get face-to-face that I think is completely valid and good. People sort of devalue all online interaction, talk about it as being less real than face-to-face interaction. No, I think it's different. I think that it meets a need that people have. I think that it's completely legitimate and that it's really important. And we get that from this. And a lot of us are lonely. And some of us have been going through really rough times. I've seen a lot of people say that. One of the things that people said about I'll Be Yours for a Song when I was writing it, and I felt personally about other fix, I feel like a lot of people feel this about a lot of works in progress, is that it sort of gives you a reason sometimes to get up in the morning. Like, it, it's it's like, okay, well, you know what, today kind of sucks, low-key, or high-key, but I've got this thing to look forward to, so I'm going to keep going, because I've got this thing. It's sort of like how people have kept living week to week because of TV shows. 
because they got to find out what happens. They can't just quit. Or how people have kept living year to year for things like the Harry Potter books. It's like, I cannot abandon this story. And I think that's, a, that's true of some people who are writing. It's, it's like, I can't leave this. It's, it matters too much. It's too much fun. It means too much to me personally. This has meant that much to people. That this is something that keeps people going on kind of a deep level. It's not necessarily the only thing, but it's a thing. I think a lot of people would say that that's sad. I don't think that's sad. And I think it's legitimate. And I don't think that people should play it down. And again, people, I think, would partly because it's online. But I, I think that's bullshit. So yeah, I, I, somebody saying that this fandom has saved them does not surprise me. And it, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, moving on to Unbadger. And, and this is in many ways kind of an echoing of what Beth Green's Girl Gang said. The fandom has literally made me a better functioning person. I can't articulate how exactly, but definitely some big changes in regards to my mental health. I think it was one of your posts dissecting Daryl's depression stemming from his childhood abuse that hit me like a fucking train. Why I think the way I do and behave the way I do and treat other people the way I do. It feels so ridiculous that I learned so much from a character on a stupid zombie show. And also being in this fandom improved my critical thinking skills in regards to storytelling so much, thanks to TD and the show in general. I've gotten better at noticing little things in storytelling that you wouldn't be able to see unless you know what to look for. All those storytelling, screenwriting, storyboarding books I've read make so much more sense now. And story structure tells me we're not done with Beth. We can't be. The plot has moved on, but there's a neon yellow bookmark there. Clearly, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things... I could talk forever about Daryl. Sorry. One of the things that I I love so much about Daryl and about Norman's portrayal of him, about how he's written, and that frustrates me so fucking much about how people talk about him, is, yeah, he's he's by no means the best and by no means the only. But he is a very interesting depiction of somebody who has survived and is still struggling with the effects of childhood abuse, physical and emotional. I feel like that's important because that gives people something to connect to that externalizes what they're feeling, but allows them also, not but, it it allows them in that also to come to a deeper understanding of what it is that's going on in their own heads. I think sometimes you can't really see something clearly unless you drag it out of yourself. And Daryl allows people to do that in some really important ways. He's, he is sort of a mirror where people can look at themselves and go, oh, okay, that's what's going on there. That's what's happening. It's not really like therapy, but I think it can be profoundly therapeutic. Because he's going through a lot of the stuff that a lot of us are going through. You know, he's, he's dealing with really deep depression right now. He's dealing with anger problems. I personally have issues with anger that I really try to work on, but, but they're bad. And I really don't like them. And it's something that I'm, I'm you know, trying to address. So seeing a character who also reacts to difficult emotion with anger means a lot to me. And it's not stupid, masculine, you know, I'm going to break stuff because I have feelings anger. It's, it's I'm depressed and I don't know how to express this in any other way than getting violent. Because that's the only emotional language I know. Now, I do not have the background that Daryl does emotionally. I was not a physically abused as a kid. I was not emotionally abused as a kid. My psyche does not work like that with him. But still, seeing that's really powerful. And I know that this is not the only person who's dealt with abuse who has seen this as something that has helped them in their relationship with themselves and their own brains and the working of their brains in a really powerful way. I don't think it's ridiculous to, to learn that much from a character on a stupid zombie show because you know what? It's not 
just a stupid zombie show. It's a story. And I've talked about this before. I don't believe stories are ever just stories. Even ridiculous stories matter. If we connect with them emotionally, if we feel like they're powerful to us emotionally, it doesn't matter how ridiculous they are. It's not important. What's important is what we're feeling and what we're getting out of it. Because regardless of what it is, if we're getting something out of it, we're getting something out of it. So yes, it's a ridiculous show. Yes, it's often not the best show. But it doesn't matter. Because we're finding something in these characters that resonates profoundly. And not just Daryl, but Beth. Something that I saw after Coda, which was really sad, but also kind of made me go, wow, you know, this is actually powerful in ways that I didn't even know because I didn't really know this community was out here and now I'm seeing them in a way I didn't before, was that Beth herself meant a lot to people, a huge amount. And I think that some of us didn't even really realize how much she meant until she was gone. That she's a survivor of a suicide attempt, that she's dealt with really profound depression, that she's dealt with the fact that she's this person that nobody expects to survive in this situation, that that everybody expects to be one of the first people to die. When she says to Daryl, you look at me and you see just another dead girl, that's a moment of meta-awareness. Uh, that's, that's why, among other things, I kind of call that whole plot line the Beth Green is Strong campaign. It's one of the things that I pull out when I'm talking about my TD evidence. She's explicitly talking in some ways about what people have said about her on the show, that she's just this person who will die eventually and will die ridiculously and will not have a particularly meaningful death because she's weak and naive and she's not good for anything. People did not see that in her correctly. I don't think Gimple saw that in her either. I think that's kind of the whole point. And that connection was so meaningful. And that connection is still meaningful. Because, you know, even if she's gone forever on the show, she's still around in terms of our writing and our imaginations and the stuff that we talk about and our meta. We're keeping her alive in one of the deepest ways possible. I think that it's one of the reasons why a lot of us doubled down after Coda. We were like, no, you are not taking this away from me. I'm going to keep this going on my own. You're not doing her justice, so I'm going to take her away from you and I'm going to handle her better than you have. And I'm going to be better to her than you have been. We still connect with that, and it's still really powerful. Her as a female character is meaningful, and I think that that's awesome. It's not just Daryl, it's her. I would say in many ways it's her more. I connect more personally to Daryl for a lot of reasons, but, but I think she's kind of the heart of this whole fandom in so many important ways. And uh, as I've talked about before in other episodes, her relationship with Daryl is really important because it's so close and it's so healthy and respectful and loving and meaningful regardless of whether or not you think it's romantic it means something really important either way regardless of whether or not you actually go in that direction and that's great and that's one of the reasons why i'm still around and it's one of the reasons why i think a lot of other people are still around we refuse to let go of this character she's too important she means too much to us next one uh nerdy facts hearts broken uh well this will get a little personal but i don't mind sharing yeah like i said come on get like personal there's a point of this is that it's personal that's the whole reason why i wanted to do this this fandom has saved my life and sanity yeah i like i said this this is that important to people and it's not ridiculous i mean or if it is it doesn't matter uh i joined td after the same time i jumped ship since i started watching after coda aired When I jumped on TD to deal with the pain of the loss of Beth and Bethel, I found myself surrounded by amazing people. Amazing art, amazing fix, meadows, support, and so much more. In the end, I found a family. 
at a time I truly needed one. See, I'm single, 32 years old, never been, never been in a relationship in my life, a virgin with anxiety and PCOS, which I also have, by the way, surrounded by people that just don't get me. This fandom gives me hope that things will be better. Most of the people I talk to here are so accepting and open to everything. It's liberating. This fandom made me love myself more. Beth made me love myself more. Like I just said, this character has done that for people. So despite all the toxic stuff that we deal with, or even if we're wrong and she is dead, I'm staying. There are amazing people here with so much to offer in regard to art and analysis and general awesomeness. So many discussions we can have about sexuality and relationships and gender and life and movies. So much stuff to learn and explore. I love all you guys. Oh, I love you too. And once again, loving this fandom, loving Beth and Beth will help me love myself more. And that is so important and no one can take it away. Yeah. It's, it's, again, people toss so much shit at us and say so many really ugly things about us. And it's bullshit. And I think all that we need in order to have evidence that it's bullshit is to look at this. And yeah, these are only three people, but there will be more people next week. But yeah, this is true for, for so many of us. And we're... <sighs> okay, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is it's something that I don't really want to talk about anymore because I hate bringing it up because every time I bring it up, it becomes a thing again, which I think is bullshit. But one of the reasons why I wanted to do this was all of the really serious ugliness that happened... Uh... God, was it April? I think it was April. Yeah, it was before May because I left for a while at the beginning of May because I was like, fuck it, I cannot deal with this right now. One of the reasons why that was so distressing to me was that I saw in a way that I thought was stupid and unnecessary and ridiculous and childish. I saw this fandom turning on itself. And regardless of whether or not you think that the reasons behind it were worth talking about, I personally don't, and I think I've talked enough about why, but regardless of whether or not you do think that, and I understand and sympathize with the people who say that it was, even if I don't agree, how people dealt with it was shameful. It was embarrassing. I was embarrassed to be part of the fandom at that point. And I think that it was a small vocal minority. I don't think most of us were involved in that in any way that was destructive. I think most of us were really distressed by it, just as much as me. But I looked and I saw a few people whether or not they meant to, kind of tearing the fandom apart. And that made me so upset. And that made me so sad. Because that is not what this fandom has been for people. That, that was a complete perversion. You know, kind of interesting choice of words there. That was a complete perversion of everything that this fandom has been for, I think, most of us. And that upset me more than anything has in a while. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I left. I just didn't want to... I didn't want to watch it anymore. When I came back things were better. And I think that one of the things that's so cool about us is that we've moved on from that, most of us, and we've gotten back to the stuff that we really love about why we're here and the stuff that we value and the stuff that we find in each other that's so meaningful. But I saw that and I wanted to do something explicit that would remind me and everybody else of why we're here and why this means so much to us and why we refuse to leave despite the fact that people have provided us with ample reason to do so. And one of the things that I think has kept so many, many of us around is that this has kind of saved us in some really significant ways. It's one of the reasons why I think emotions were running so high right around that period, actually. It, it was that suddenly for some of us, this place wasn't kind of what we thought it was. Or at least it became something else for a while. And I think that that was really upsetting to people. And I think that when people's emotions are running high, they react strongly. And I did, and I get that. 
this means so much. And so our reactions to things are correspondingly powerful and meaningful. So even if it was upsetting at the time, I appreciate some of the reasons why it happened. And one of the things that I've seen over and over again, not just from that, but, but in general, is that people will fight to protect this. When, when people are getting attacked, for the most part, people, other people will stand up for them, uh, will, will encourage them, will comfort them. Something that I do is, okay, I'm, I'm absolutely terrible about answering stuff anyway, but, but something that I really try to do, and I actually have a number of reasons for doing this that I'll talk about if you're interested, not here, but I'll talk about it elsewhere, is that I try to respond to every piece of hate mail slash unpleasantness that I get. I take kind of the opposite rule of engagement that a lot of people do, and I feed the trolls, and I do say things. And one of the reasons why I say things is because I want how gross people can be to be out there. I want it to be visible. I want people to not be able to deny it. Now, the people who are doing it wouldn't want to deny it because they're doing it, and they clearly either don't understand what jerks they're being, or they don't care. And I think it's probably little column A and little column B. But I do, I respond to everything. And one of the things that I've noticed about it, and I've noticed that this is true of a, lot of a lot of us, is that it comes in bursts. And I think that what happens is somebody says something and, you know, one of us will answer. Or one of us has done something that has gotten people's attention. Which, again, you know, guys, they're watching us. It's not that they wander to our blogs and go, oh, something that I will respond to for some unfucking noble reason. They're watching us and they're watching for ammunition and they're using it when they find it. And that's fucking gross and creepy. One of us will do something that will get their attention and we'll get flooded with, with grossness. Or just people being kind of rude and often not very coherent. Or, or saying stuff that we've seen a hundred thousand times. I don't mean, by the way, to make this all negative, but I, I do feel like some venting is kind of in order here. And I feel like a lot of you kind of appreciate that. I may actually do a rant episode at some point, which is kind of fun, because I kind of actually like ranting, as you might have noticed uh, if you follow my blog. The age gap argument? Hasn't that been done to death? Like, I honestly, I get it, and it aggravates me. Not because I'm insulted by it, because I'm not. It's it's just, I just roll my eyes. Not because my feelings are hurt, because they're not. These are cowards who refuse to put their names behind what they're actually saying. Uh, they're, they're just, they're cowards. But they're not just cowards, they're uncreative. They're either lazy or they're not capable of being creative about this. Or, or they just can't find anything else, really, to, to talk about. I, I, I know, because whenever I do something that allows them to do something different, they get so excited. And, and I get lots and lots and lots of asks, because I think that they're just falling over themselves with joy that they finally have something to talk about besides the age gap. Because I think on some level, they actually understand that it's ridiculous and tired and boring, and that it doesn't even bother us anymore to the extent that it ever did. Oh, I'm so sick of it. It's like, you know what? I'm clearly worth following and paying some attention to and stalking even. Put some creativity into it, guys. Come on. But something that I've noticed about when one of us is getting kind of flooded with things, or when I'm getting flooded with things, and it's so sweet and wonderful, is that people send counter messages that are, are loving and encouraging and friendly and kind. And it's really great. And it's one of the things that I think really reveals a lot of the true character of, of us, of who we are. We, we care about each other. We'll help each other. We want to comfort each other when we see that somebody's in distress. When one of us is in trouble, other people step up. 
I, I don't remember exactly who this was, and please forgive me for that. But one of us had a, I think it was a very sudden death in the family. And it was very upsetting. And this person needed some financial help. And people stepped up in a huge way and, and helped this person out. It was a fandom response. It was not solely a fandom response, I think, but it was hugely a fandom response. And that was so wonderful to see that somebody in a really serious time of need was was supported by this group of people. Others of us have gotten into emotional and psychological trouble. And uh, one of us not too long ago disappeared. And people were really worried because the circumstances under which this person disappeared were kind of a little bit alarming. And people were trying to get in touch with them and, and asking other people, do you live near this person? Can, do you think that you could find them? Can you verify that they're okay? And there was, there was really kind of a, a serious detective effort to track this person down. And they ended up being fine and everything was okay. But we cared enough about this person that it was almost like, that it was almost like Avengers Assemble. Like we all came together in almost a really coordinated way to try to make sure that this person was okay and that we didn't need to intervene in any kind of more serious way to protect them. And it was so great to see that because that's, that, that is people taking time out of their day to do something for somebody who they might have never and possibly never will meet ever. This is just a name on Tumblr or wherever, but it's somebody that is loved and cared about, and the people who love them and care about them want to show them that. And that's amazing. Not too long ago, uh, the other day, actually, a newbie sent me a really wonderful message that uh, was basically like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new to this fandom. I've only really been, you know, stalking you guys' blogs and, and reading your metas for a short time now. But I heard so much stuff about you, about how you're all mean and you're assholes and there's infighting and you're kind of creepy and awful. And and I have found that that is completely untrue. And yeah, I mean, it is. It's not fucking true. Uh, the people who try to talk about us that way are, are lying or they're just wrong and don't care that they're wrong. God, by the way, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about these people. Not only do they have fan blogs... I, I refuse to call them hate blogs. They're fan blogs. They write fan fiction about us, you guys. They concoct stories about us, sometimes about specific people. Like, they actually make things up about characters. It's very flattering. They have literally created a fandom around not liking us. I, I think that that's really sweet of them. Yeah, you know, there, there, are, there are those of us in the fandom who are assholes. There are those of us in the fandom who are abusive. There are those of us in the fandom who exhibit unhealthy behavior. There's, there's that in every fandom. That's not unusual. But I think the core group here, the really the serious majority, is, is wonderful and sweet and supportive and loving and would be perfectly happy to just mind their own business and, and enjoy our stupid zombie show and enjoy our ridiculous ship. We're, we're really interested in good things and kindness, and we're not like that. And all you have to do is spend about five minutes with us to see that that's true. And I'm, I'm very glad that this person showed up and, uh, and feels this way, because they seem cool, and I like them to stick around. I think that'd be nice. And everyone who's added to our numbers makes us stronger. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Uh, for me personally, it's, I, I actually, I talked about this in my afterward to Albiers for a song. I will never shut up about that fic. I'm very sorry. I came into this fandom in a really serious way in the year that I lost my PhD funding. 
Uh, I'm in a doctoral program for sociology. I am two-thirds of the way done. I'm stalled at the dissertation phase, like a lot of people do. I'm so close to finishing. By the way, my deadline is I graduate by the end of next summer. I'm gone because I just can't. I'm going into my eighth year and I just can't do this anymore. But uh, we are only guaranteed five years of funding, which means we get a very small stipend. We get tuition remission and we get health insurance, which is awesome. I mean, that's not a bad deal for graduate school, but, you know, it's it's not much. And we really depend on it, a lot of us. And a lot of us still have to take out loans because I live in the D.C. metro area. And except for San Francisco, I think this is probably San Francisco and New York. Uh, this is one of the most expensive places in the country to live. It's, you know, it's thanks to the Beltway Bandits. There's lots of money in D.C. And one of the things that that means is the cost of living is astronomical. We need this this money as, as, as poor grad students. And when it disappears, we're kind of left in the lurch a bit. And one of the things that we kind of were told coming into the program is, yeah, you're only guaranteed five years of funding, but for the most part, everybody gets six. You know, it, it's kind of an unofficial promise. You, most people get sick, so don't sweat it. And we all in my cohort were kind of assuming that. We would go into our sixth year and we'd all get funded again and, you know, it wouldn't really be a problem. And we shouldn't expect it in the seventh year, but if we're making good progress through the program, we'll be fine. That is not what happened. My department was very foolish and hired too many faculty. Yay. Yeah, you know what, your, your faculty are looking good now, but your students, not so much. So they ran out of money and they couldn't afford to fund any more of us. Uh, and those of us who were not already involved in fellowships with other professors were kind of left in the cold. Very suddenly, by the way, uh, those of us who didn't already have jobs were kind of like, shit. And I was one of those people. I was very suddenly out of a job and discovered, like I said at the very beginning of this episode, that I did not have very many skills in terms of employability. I'm qualified to teach and that's really about it. Uh, I was also quite foolish and I focused uh, primarily on theory throughout my coursework and my research. I did not do a whole lot of quantitative work. I could pretty much go work at census and write my own check if I'd done that, which meant that my research skills weren't good, which meant that kind of unemployable. So I spent a year looking for a job and it was really distressing and really frustrating. And it, it kind of made me step back and reevaluate so many things like, you know, I've been here for six years, going into eighth year again now, by the way, I've been here for six years. I've put so much of my life into this. I've, I've, invested so much time and energy. I literally had a mental breakdown because of this program. It it damaged me. And I've been proceeding through on the assumption that it will be worth it at the end. And here I am, and I'm stalled at the dissertation, and I don't really want to even fucking write my dissertation. By the way, I have since started retooling it from the ground up because I really am just crazy. And I don't know what I'm doing. And that was the year wherein I discovered all of you. And again, in a serious way, after Beth died, Slash was shot. I, I was depressed. I was scared. I was trying to rethink everything and not having a particularly good time. I was confused. I was really starting to question a lot of things in my writing career. Because for a whole number of reasons, I was not where I wanted to be. And I was not where I thought I should be. And by the way, should is a bullshit word. Uh, one of the things that I've decided since then is that that just wasn't my year. And that's okay. It, you know, not every year is going to be your year. But I was I was questioning a lot of things about my writing career. And, and you know, God, do I even want to fucking 
do this anymore? Is this even something I enjoy and want to invest as much time and energy into it as I am? And I don't like living in Maryland and I kind of like to move, but moving is expensive and I don't know if I can. And long story short, I was having a shitty time. And that's when I found this fandom. And in a lot of ways, I think that it maybe wasn't so great for me because it provided escapism to a degree that I think might have been a little extreme. I think I've balanced things out better since then. But it was a support structure when I really had none, or at least when I felt like I had none. I don't think it was actually true that I didn't have one, but I felt like I didn't have one, or I felt like my support structures were collapsing around me. And it was also a place where I sort of recovered my creativity in a lot of ways. I rediscovered by abandoning a lot of professional writing that I was doing. And and this is something that, again, I've sort of had to find my way back into uh, that's been kind of frustrating and difficult in some ways. I abandoned a lot of my professional writing in favor of fan fiction. And you can make lots of arguments for that not being a good thing. But one of the reasons why it was a good thing for me was that it reminded me of why I wanted to do this in the first place, because I got my start writing fan fiction. I come out of fandom as a writer. One of the things that's, that's cool about being a writer right now is that that's true of more and more of us. Uh, we're coming out of fandom and we're not being shy about that. But I, I rekindled my love of this medium of fan fiction, and in doing so, I kind of fell in love with writing all over again. And this was the period during which I wrote I'll Be Yours for a Song, which ended up being incredibly emotionally important to me. Again, it's probably the most personal thing I've ever written. Uh, and I wrote it from March to August, to the very end of August. Posted the last chapter September 2nd. So it also kind of saved me in some important ways. And it provided me a place to go that was safe and comfortable in a way that the rest of my life was not. And I don't think that it's true that it kept me going. I don't think I was ever in a bad enough place that I wouldn't have been able to keep going. I think that I probably would have been okay even without this. But it was so needed when it happened. And it has been so important since then. And I have met so many amazing people. And uh, like, like Unbedger said about storytelling, that's been true of me too. It's, it's, I've learned how to do things in terms of writing that I would not, I think, have been able to do in any other way. I've learned how to approach things. I've learned how to write about stuff. I've learned things about style and prose. Uh, I've, I've experimented with things in ways that I wouldn't be able to with professional writing, because the thing is, it matters a lot less. I won't say it matters a lot less what you do, but it actually kind of matters a lot less what you do. And it's not that there aren't any standards in fan fiction. There are. But it's that if I want to do something that's just kind of ridiculously out there, I can do it. And I won't have to worry about somebody not buying it. If I want to write about something that's really uncomfortable and that I honestly would not want to have professionally published, like Daddy Kink, an incest play, I can do that. And it's not that I'm hiding the fact that I've written it. You know, anybody who knows my professional presence online can find it. It's not like it's secret. But it's not something that I would necessarily want to have out there in the world as published fiction. And I can, I can write it. And I can write something like Everything Where It Belongs, which is just unbelievably problematic. And is, is me letting my id really off the leash in a big way. And I would never do this in this way with any of my professionally published horror. But I can do it because it's fan fiction. And I can come away a stronger writer for it, even if I go back to original fiction and I don't do exactly what I did. And in terms of storytelling, I... I this is something that I talked about some when I was writing one of my Team Defiance metas. Uh, one of the things that 
I kind of learned how to do in a new way. Looking at CODA was a kind of narrative forensics. Narrative forensics is what I called it, where you look at something and you analyze all the ways in which it went wrong. It's, it's like a storytelling crime scene. You look at all of the inconsistencies. You look at all the things that don't make sense. You look at all the things that really are just bad writing. You take it all apart, figure out why it didn't work. Uh, if you believe that something else is going on, you find ways in which the evidence is pointing you in a different direction, storytelling-wise. But regardless of whether or not you think that, what you find is instructive. And in fact, I, I, I do think that if you're, if you're on the team, that's, you're, you're having access to a kind of storytelling analysis that you don't if you're not. You know, you just don't. And that's something that just in, in the process of writing and thinking about it, I think I have learned a lot. And I've learned a lot about it from other people, just from talking about it and discussing it. These are extraordinarily smart people in this fandom, and that's just been fantastic. And it's all of it. All of it. And this is kind of where I'm going to end things. This is something that... This is kind of the core thing, I think, that makes this not ridiculous and not just a stupid zombie show. Everything that we get from each other and from this story and from these characters is applicable elsewhere. Everything that we have, we can take out of its context and make use of it in other places. It is not only useful and meaningful in its context. It can be removed from that context and it will still be useful and meaningful. Everything that I've learned about writing, I can use elsewhere. Everything that I've learned about analysis of storytelling, I can use elsewhere. Everything that I've learned about anything in this fandom, I can use elsewhere. I've accumulated skill sets that have value in places other than fandom. I learned how to make a fucking podcast. It wasn't actually that hard, but I taught myself how to do a whole lot of things so that I could do this. And I did it because I wanted to do a fandom podcast, but I also did it because I wanted to learn how to do a podcast. It was something I enjoyed. It was something that seemed cool. It was something that I wanted to see if I could do. It turns out I can. I, I don't know that I'm doing an amazing job, but I can do it well enough that people seem to enjoy it, at least some people, so there's that. I learned how to make books. I had kind of done it before. I had self-published a collection of essays prior to, to making all my fic books, but I learned how to do a different kind of bookmaking. Uh, I learned how to do a different kind of interior design. I learned how to make covers. The covers I make, which I'm actually really proud of, I know they're not the most amazing things, but I'm, I'm proud of them personally. I couldn't do any of that when I started. I, I taught myself how to do it. I taught myself how to use PaintShop Pro. I taught myself how to work with layers. I taught myself how to work with textures, how to copy and paste, how to work with gradients. I, I learned how to do all of this stuff on the fly. I taught myself because I wanted to know how to do it. And that's a skill that I can translate to anywhere. If I want to self-publish something original, that's something that I now know how to do. I feel like I can produce a professional quality book because I've done that with my fic. And it's amazing, that feeling. And it's awesome. And I'll fight anybody who tries to devalue that. Everything that we have here, everything that we find here in ourselves and each other, it's all valuable apart from its context. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't appreciate about this kind of thing, that it has value outside of itself. And I think that it's really important to appreciate that. It's just like the friends that you make in fandom often remain your friends outside of fandom. Like, these are relationships that you have for a long time, potentially. I have a lot of friends that uh, I'm still friends with that I made friends with when I was a teenager in high school because of the fandom that I was in then. 
These are people who I care about enormously and really value, even if we don't talk a whole lot anymore. These are people that I would still do just about anything for. If they needed help, I would be completely there for them. And if I needed help, I think that they would be there for me. So, you know, these, these things matter outside of their context. I think that's wonderful. That's one of the reasons why I love this. One of the many reasons. I have lots and lots of reasons why I love this. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I've been talking for about an hour and a half. Uh, Hopefully we'll get down to a little less when I trim things in post-production. But I'm going to save the other stuff that I got for next time. Uh, Which means, by the way, you can still send me things. And that would be cool. So I'm going to get to the fic reading. Uh, The fic reading is me. I wanted to try to stay with the theme of the episode. So I was looking for something that was kind of hurt comfort, almost. You know, that, that it was two people connecting in a moment of kind of emotional pain. And uh, this is something that I wrote a while ago. Uh, I actually wrote it back in September. It's part of my Footage Not Found series, which is just a bunch of things like that we saw didn't see off screen or a bunch of things that we might see. It's actually kind of a blurry category. But this takes place three days after still. And so it's kind of at a point where Beth and Daryl are still figuring each other out and are still kind of learning how to be together in a new way. And one of the things that I especially wanted to explore was uh, Daryl figuring out how to do this because Beth obviously is great at comforting. It's one of the first things, it's one of the first serious interactions they have in 30 days without an accident. It's probably the first big interaction in the whole history of the ship. You know, she she comforts Daryl with the hug and he's super awkward and doesn't really know what to do, but he doesn't reject it. You know, he kind of seems like he wants it. He's just not sure what it means that he wants it. I wanted to try and play with that more. The difficulties in accepting comfort when you're not really set up emotionally to do that easily. So yeah, this is called Will You Be My Anchor? I hope you enjoy it. It makes him frantic. Might seem melodramatic. It's not. It's really fucking not. There were times after, two big ones that he can think of, and look how the second one turned out, where she really did do that to him. Made him like that. Freaked him out that way. Messed him up. Running was fine. Not fine, really, but it was a known quantity. He knows how to run. She does too. Sooner or later, they always do. Fighting, sure, sucks. Terrifying sometimes, but whatever. You do it or you die. It's a pretty binary situation, and there's always been something comforting about that. The end of the world has a way of stripping things down, simplifying many of them. Massively complicating others. She fucks him up. You know she doesn't know how much. She might suspect now, but if money meant anything at all anymore, he would lay all of it down on the bet that she doesn't know, because there are still some things he can hide. She's been so strong since they started running, it's awed him, and he hasn't said anything because every time he tries to work up the language, the language utterly fails him. There aren't words for her, for what she does. He's been weak as a newborn kitten since this whole fiasco began, maybe even before. Maybe it's just that now he's realizing how true that was and is, but she's held it together with a stubborn determination he can scarcely comprehend. She's kept moving, kept him moving. And the wonder of it all, wonder of wonders, is that he would also bet all that money that he doesn't need to tell her that he's grateful in order for her to know it. But she fucks him up when she falters when she cries, when he stands there like a fucking idiot and gawks at her with his clumsy stupid body and his clumsy stupid hands and his clumsy stupid brain running in wild circles and he should be able to do something and he never can. 
He wants to fix it, and he never knows how. When they found the bodies, and she just stared at them, and he watched her fall apart right in front of him. He bit his lips so hard they bled, but it's not like that helped her at all. Like he would suffer if it would make things better, because suffering is something he knows he can do very well. But it's not what she needs. He was leaving her alone in it, and he hated it. Wanted to reach her. Show her. It wasn't that he didn't give a shit. It wasn't that he looked at her and he didn't feel anything. God, you can feel so much that it paralyzes you. You really can. So there was that. There were other times. Then, finally, there was the schnapps, and that, looking back on it, was when everything broke open, shattered like that bottle, because it was ridiculous and it felt useless, but he did something. And she stopped crying. And then later she smiled a little. He made her smile. Until he fucked it all up again, because that's what he does. But that was the thing, what she did, to him, for him. She didn't leave him alone in it. She wouldn't let him be alone. She broke in. Broke and entered, and she didn't leave. That was three days ago. He doesn't know what he expected. He doesn't know what he thought would happen. That everything would be different, maybe. Or maybe everything would slip back into the exact same routine, the fire and the moonshine being only temporary madness. Wonderful madness, but madness like that never lasts. It burns away to nothing under the force of its own intensity. Instead, the truth is somewhere in between. It's been the same. They make camp, they eat, they drink whatever water they've been able to find. They sleep in shifts, they pack up and run again. It's as mind-numbing as it always was. He can feel that dull shell starting to reassert itself, slide over him, and close him in gray nothing. But then he looks at her, and all that goes away. And he feels like maybe he can do things again. Like he's not clumsy and stupid, and he doesn't have to be useless. And she's smiling more. She's smiling at him. He has no idea what to do with any of that. Except some things really don't change. And here they are, night three, post-moonshine, and it's his shift, and it's a gross night, thick and muggy. One of those nights where the air itself feels like sweat, and the trees around them are full of all kinds of sounds that would be safe and familiar if they weren't all mingling and coalescing somehow into something very disquieting. And Beth is curled by the dying fire and crying in her sleep. And he's just sitting here, turning his knife over and over in his hands, clumsy and stupid. It's been going on for about ten minutes now, off and on. Soft. She never groans or screams, no matter how bad her nightmares seem to be. She never thrashes around. She curls up, makes herself small like she's trying to protect herself from something. And he knows what that looks like, feels like, to try to save yourself that way. And it's like a punch in the heart. She whimpers, sighs, lets out quiet little sobs. She sounds so young and so weak, and she sounds alone, and he knows she's strong, that she's one of the strongest people he's ever known, tough enough to chew nails. But she can be weak, too. Of course she can. And fuck, he should do something. There are no bottles of peach schnapps here to hurl to the ground. Frantic, everything tightening up. She won't attract any attention. It's not about that. She's not anywhere near loud enough. It's just about how he hates it. It's the worst, and he watches her trembling form in the last of the firelight, and he wants to scream. He wants to hit everything in the world but her, tear it apart around her, maybe, in the process, destroy whatever is tormenting her in her sleep. Probably not, though. He looks down at the knife, at its faint gleam, up at a moon haloed in moisture haze, at the whispering trees. It's all such bullshit, 
And he's the worst of all of it. And without meaning to, without realizing it, he's looking at her again and he's thinking, what's the worst that could happen? He has no idea what that's about until he remembers, and he doesn't know how he could have forgotten. Except he didn't forget. There were just connections he never drew, because he's him and she's her, and of course, those connections wouldn't exist. Of course he couldn't. He's not like her. He's nothing like her. He could never be anything like how and what she is. But he's gazing at her now, the faint ruddy sheen of her hair, the outlined slope of her shoulder and side, and her knees drawn up to her chest, her arms tucked in close to her body, and he can't stop thinking about it now that he's begun. There are things she would say, or perhaps not her at all. Come on, you fucking pussy. What's the worst that could happen? Is that really a question that should get asked at the moment? You want to be clumsy and stupid? Follow your fucking bliss. No. No, he doesn't. Christ, he doesn't. It's wrenching him inside, tying him into knots, watching her shiver and moan so low, the glistening tracks of her tears clearly visible on her cheek and nose. He doesn't want to be clumsy and stupid. He wants to do something, like she did for him. She showed him something. So before he can talk himself out of it, he moves. Slow easing toward her, almost like he's creeping up on her. Does it have to be like that? Does his brain have to draw that kind of connection? Oh my god. But it's not like he would wake her anyway. Not like this. Sometimes he grits his teeth and waits for her to wake up on her own. Sometimes he prods her, gingerly, until she does. But either way, she never comes out of these things easily. She always comes out of them exhausted, like she's been fighting her way up from something very dark and very deep, something that doesn't want to let her go. So she won't wake up when he lowers himself down to sit behind her, facing the fire. She won't wake up when he lays a very, very tentative hand on her upper arm, when he squeezes her, shakes her a little. She stirs, whimpers again, and mutters something that might be a word, but otherwise she's gone, far away. So, oh Christ, he can do this. He really can. He has no excuse for not doing it. What's the fucking worst that could fucking happen? Is she going to set him on fire or something? Is she going to do something to his organs that causes him to explode? She won't wake up when he reaches her with both hands, takes her shoulders, and as gently as he can, gentle like she's made of blown glass and could shatter, tugs her into his arms. It's very awkward. When she held him before, he wasn't facing her. She had her arms around his waist and her head between and just below his shoulder blades, and it felt so close, agonizingly so, but there was also distance. He still had a bit of protection. Now there's none. Now he's pulling her against his chest, and it's so fucking weird, and he's so fucking bad at it. He sucks at this, just like he knew he would. He's clumsy and stupid, even when he tries to do something. He took her to the shack and the moonshine last time he tried, and he just ended up hurting her worse in the end. But he doesn't let go. He holds on, and she's still shivering, letting out soft, breathy sounds. But just as he's certain he's doing nothing to help her and he should let her go, she burrows into him. It's not slight. It's not a sleep-slowed movement, barely there. She angles her body and presses against him, seeking him, her face buried in his shirt and her breath and tears hot against his skin, and all of her is hot, burning, and it's not residual heat from the fire. It's her. She's burning in his arms like a little fever, and he has no idea what the fuck to do. So he just holds her tighter, and when she whimpers again, levers herself more fully into his lap, he doesn't try to stop her. This is very confusing. 
But maybe he is helping. Maybe he's doing that. Maybe if he curls her against him and moves his hand slowly over her back, strokes her, maybe that might be good. Might not bring her out of whatever she's lost in, but it might reach her somehow. Might make it a little better. Probably stupid, but it might. She's still trembling, but she's also settling, at least a bit. Her arms still tucked in close and her legs still drawn up, but the muscles of her shoulders and back loosening the smallest amount. She sniffles, pulls in a shuddering breath, and when he obeys yet another bizarre and possibly ill-advised impulse and cups the back of her head, fingers moving aimlessly against her tangled hair, she whispers something against the base of his throat. He can't hear, is willing to abandon it to the category of general sleep talk, but then she says it again, some voice behind it, and he freezes. Daddy. Of course. Of course, it would be this. She has never made it this blatant before, but very likely it's this far more often than it's not. Possibly the most horrible thing that's ever happened to her. More than enough fuel for a lifetime of nightmares. And suddenly, just holding her isn't enough. He gives in, doesn't overthink it, strokes her hair again and presses his lips to her hairline, and murmurs the only thing he can think of, even if it's a fucking lie. It's all right speaking against her skin, into her hair. It's okay, Beth. Even though it's not. But she's loosening still more, and as she does, she seems to be crying more freely, shaking, but not with the kinds of tremors he identifies with fear. She's soaking his shirt, every breath shaky and tear-clogged, and he fucking hates it when she cries, but maybe this is good. Maybe it's actually good for her to do this. In the end, when it was all over and he was limp in the circle of her arms, it was good. It was still awful, but it was like poison had been drained out of him, and he didn't feel alone. Terrell, she breathes thickly, and for a fraction of a second, panic grips him. She's awake. Shit, shit, shit. She's awake, and she knows, and she's going to pull away, be very not okay with this. He stepped across some kind of line. He's fucked up somehow, again. But then she twists in a way no conscious person would and his stomach plunges straight into the ground. Because it's like he already knows what's coming. Help him, she chokes. I, God, help him, Daryl, help Daddy, please. This isn't fair. It's not her fault. Christ, no, but it's not fair because he's trying to help and he, he can't. Not that way. Maybe I could have done something. Maybe. He has no idea what to say, and she almost certainly can't hear him anyway. Maybe he could have done something, but that was then, and now there's fuck all he can do. So he just holds her tighter. And after a while, she quiets, begins to go still, and he knows that whatever it was she was lost in, she got out. She made it. I'm sorry, he thinks. He won't say it. Can't. Can't bear to. And he knows that even if he has the words in his head, once they hit his tongue, they'll disintegrate into a jumble of random syllables, utterly devoid of meaning, and he'll be left with nothing. Clumsy and stupid. But right now, he does have them in here, and he thinks them because it's better than nothing. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I fucked up. I'm sorry I didn't do anything. I'm sorry that maybe I really couldn't have done anything because I should have been able to. I'm sorry I'm so bad at this. I'm sorry you're in there alone and I can't reach you and I can't get you out. I'm sorry. I should be better. You deserve better. 
You deserve so much better than this. Than me. She might not agree. It doesn't matter. She's very sweet and she's very kind, but it's still true. And it's even truer because of those things. But now she's quiet, lying against him. And he probably doesn't have to do this anymore. He can probably lay her back down by the fire and leave her alone. But he doesn't want to. It hits him, disturbing. He doesn't want to let go of her. She feels good like this. He gapes at it, because it feels so wrong given what just happened. This is not supposed to feel good. He's not supposed to want her here. Not with what got her here. Is he allowed that? Is he allowed to want this? Just how fucked up is he, really? But it feels good. She's warm and she's soft and she's small, but there's such a solidity to her. A kind of power that has nothing to do with size. He can feel that too, and that's part of it. That's part of why. He felt it when she had him. When she held on. He surrendered to it because he was so tired because he finally knew he could and she would take care of him. So, maybe this is okay. It's alright, he whispers, lips moving so close to her brow as his hands drift over her back, her hair, the outlines of her bones, her tight musculature, how well it seems to fit here. Now this doesn't even feel difficult anymore. It just feels right. I gotcha. I gotcha, Beth. She shivers, but it feels like nothing more than an aftershock of terror. After a second or two, she nods. And she's probably not awake. But she might be. That thought isn't as frightening as it was. So he doesn't let go. Not until he's too tired to stay awake anymore and it's her turn. And then he lays her carefully down smooths her out, her clothes and her hair, leaves her for a few moments and comes back to wake her like he always does. She never says anything about it, so he has no idea if she knows. The next day is business as usual, that same strange combination of everything the same and everything different. But it all feels a little more different than before. And it could just be him. It could be. But he kind of wants it to not be. Whatever that was, he's not sure he wants to be alone in it. And welcome back. Uh, I need to hurry and finish this up because there is a motherfucker of a storm moving in. I actually had to be careful recording that because I was doing it in between bursts of thunder. And also in between bursts of noise from the assholes next door. I'm, you're gonna kinda get to know my neighbors, I think. Like, eventually. I'm just kinda gonna have this running commentary of the assholes next door. Kind of already have. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for being here. I really hope you liked that. It was a lot of fun to write. It was actually one of the one-shots, first one-shots that I wrote after finishing I'll Be Yours for a Song, which felt weird. Very weird. This was almost like me reassuring myself that I could still do this. Like, I remember sitting down to write this and going, 
Um, can I even write like single things that aren't hundreds of thousands of words long and just incredibly feelings heavy? Because this honestly isn't feelings heavy so much by my standards. It is, I know, but, but yeah, so this was actually kind of a reassuring piece to write for me in more than one way. Uh, again, next time, uh, is going to be a continuation of this. And hopefully I'll get a couple more things to talk about between now and then. There certainly will be time. I'm not sure exactly when I will be able to record the next one. I mean, I never am. But I imagine that it will be sometime close to the end of the month. As usual, please send me Ficrex. Send me comments. Send me... God, fucking anything. Uh, I am fine being contacted in just about any way. You can send me asks on Tumblr. You can send me anonymous asks on Tumblr. By the way, that's totally fine. You can send me messages. My messaging is open to anybody, not just people who follow me. You can send me emails. You can DM me on Twitter. Fuck, you can do whatever you want. I don't really care. You can do semaphores. You can do anything. Just make sure to mark it as something specifically podcast-related, otherwise I might become confused and answer it somewhere else. Just a reminder, the website for this podcast is keepsingingpodcast.wordpress.com. Be checking back there pretty soon for an expanded list of FICREX. I really will try and get that done as soon as I can. And again, there is a tip jar if you feel like tossing anything in there. And also there is my Patran, which is also kind of this podcast's Patran, which is on the top of my blog at dynamicsymmetry.tumblr.com. I'm really looking forward to doing the next one. And then I'm kind of thinking that one of the next three is actually going to be a giant rant-a-thon. Because you know what? Yeah, it was nice to talk about happy things, but I kind of feel like a lot of us maybe... Ah, see, there's thunder. A lot of us could stand to vent about some things. I know I could. So we'll have like a nothing but angry episode after the happy episodes, and I think that will be fun. Yeah, thank you again for listening. I appreciate it endlessly, and I will hopefully speak to you soon. <laughs>